Finally, Super Scary listeners, welcome back to the Super Scary Podcast, where we cover everything from the supernatural to the superpowered. Today, uh, we have a very, very, very special episode because love is in the air. It is Valentine's Day this week, and I could think of nobody better to do this episode with than with my fabulous, wonderful, amazing husband, Frank. Everybody, welcome Frank to the show. Hey, super scary listeners. I'm happy to finally be on the podcast and super excited for this Valentine's week as our podcast. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me, Frank. I know it was uh, kind of pulling teeth with you because for whatever reason, you were a little nervous to do this. Uh, I wouldn't call it nervous. This is just not my forte on the podcast. (laughs) Well, Frank has been amazing. He's been helping out with, you know, behind the scenes stuff and, you know, helping me organize and reminding me to post on social media because I am not the greatest at doing that, um, even if he reminds me. So... (laughs) But I am happy that he is uh, doing this episode with me today. And it is our first episode uh, recording in the same room. We're using my microphone, so in my little recording studio. So it's very intimate, I would say. Wouldn't you agree? I would say you need some stuff on the wall. This really plain white wall here. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's get into uh, this week's topic. We are talking about the Insidious movie, and you know, I was originally going to do something like Bride of Frankenstein, or maybe like Bride of Chucky. Like I wanted to do something like very love themed, but uh, Frank was not into either of those movies, so I let him choose. And after a lot of teeth pulling, we uh, narrowed it down to this one. So why did you pick this movie, Frank? Well, I don't want to do anything love theme on Valentine's Day. I feel like Valentine's Day is like overdone and overly loved. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who probably don't like Valentine's Day. So why continue the Fed? But uh, I picked this movie because if we're doing anything kind of love related, this is kind of one of the movies we've watched together um, as a couple um, in our beginning years. And so we've continuously watched it. And watched all the the sequels, sequels yeah. or trilogies uh, come about. So I think it's a I think it's a great movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and um, I remember us watch like you said, watching this very early into our relationship. And I I believe this movie came out in 2013. So we would have been together at least a year at that point. Um, do you remember like how we watched it? Not a clue. <laughs> I I have a feeling that we watched it on Netflix, like the year after it came out. No, no. We're <laughs> yeah. I, just... I cannot remember any of the specific details. <laughs> and you listeners will finally learn who Frank is. And Frank is not great with details. Celebrities. Celebrity Pop names, culture. Pop culture. <laughs> Directors. Directors. Well, to be fair, you did recognize James Wan's name, so that's yeah. you know you're 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 getting there. <laughs> yeah, through this podcast, I think I'm learning more about pop culture, especially in the horror film um, genre. So I'm getting there. 
Good. See, Frank is an avid listener. That means you should be too. And I would love to hear your history with scary movies. Like, when do you remember starting to watch them? Who kind of introduced you to them if it was a particular person? Uh, my cousin forced me to watch them. Um, she liked, she likes a lot of jump scare movies. And so we got into those. And, um, I think one of my favorite scary movies you've actually already done is, uh, White Noise. And when I was a kid, it was just such a big, good jump scare. And, uh, looking at it now, how cheesy it is, that's another subject. But I just, at the time I was a kid watching in the movie theaters, it was really scary and jump scares. So, um, I usually am into jump scares. I do like some, uh, scary horror movies that are, um, real life based, uh, I think those are really cool and interesting, especially kind of learning where the real life purpose of it is. Yeah, and I th- I think um, one of your other favorite movies is The Fourth Kind, and I think they kind of pitch that as, you know, like it's supposed to be based on real life, but I don't think it actually is, right? I don't know if it's based off of real life. Um has a lot of jump scares as well, but, um, you know, I'm always down for a good alien movie, and it just, you know... The approach they had like a, a faux documentary approach to it, mm, and I mm-hmm. thought that that yeah, was that's pretty cool because I don't think I had seen that beforehand. Yeah. All right. So before we get into the details of this movie, I told the story a couple weeks ago on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre podcast about you taking me on our anniversary to a haunted forest attraction and i would love for you to tell the listeners your side of it specifically like seeing me squirm under pressure (laughs) i learned that i should never take joshua to a haunted uh, forest anymore or mansion or anything haunted because my goodness that was an experience uh, it was, I think it was a year after we had been here in uh, Richmond or a couple months. I think it was only like a month or two, to be honest. We had just moved here, I think. Yeah, I think it was just because we moved in October and it was around Halloween. So I remember us going and it seemed pretty cool because it like, you know, it's very festival-esque at the front of it. You know, you get candied apples and pretzels or whatever and you walk around some hay and it's cool and nice. Um so you get to the haunted part, you go through the forest, and I've, I actually like haunted forests, because I've done them before, and they're just fun, I just, like I said, jump scare is probably where I like the best, and I thought this one was really fun, because you go through actual houses, and it's very knit close with the group that you're in, that you're walking through, um, and I don't think you liked the bit close uh, houses and people being right in your face. Um, uh, you were aggressively pushing and screaming. Um, I probably had to use all my force to hold you back so that we could get through it without people being upset that you were pushing. Um, but, you know... Didn't think you'd get that scared, but we're here, so it is what it is. Yeah, I, yeah, the main thing I remember is gripping the t-shirt of the guy in front of me, and you kept leaning up and being like, Josh, stop that shit. Yeah, I just kept, like, because you were, it was in, it was in, it was in the knit 
close like houses when you were walking through the houses mm -hmm. that's where you're freaking out because i think through the forest you had an ability to kind of jump back and be like oh i'm scared yeah but in there there was no space at all i was just trying to hold you back so you didn't have to go but you were just trying to gun for the uh exit i guess yeah, it was like, the quicker was, we get through these houses, the quicker we can get to the end. Yeah, it was a single <laughs> file line, so I'm telling you, it was tight spaces. Uh, so it really was not any way of you jumping around somebody or pushing somebody out of the way. You really had to kind of push the whole line. But uh, I think it did a pretty good job of holding you back. Yeah, I yeah I remember not... Like, I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it, if that makes sense. Like, I did not enjoy having people up in my face. Like, I would love to go to one of those, like, amusement park, like, Halloween festival things, you know, where they have all the the scare actors and, you know, all that. Because I, I would love to experience that. However, based on my reaction in that haunted forest, I don't think I would be much better in... An amusement park environment. It's the same thing. Like, they rope off a forest and you walk. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. There's no difference, so you would be experiencing the same thing. Yeah, maybe we just need to go to Disney and see the Hocus Pocus, like, extravaganza show. And, like, that's that's the level that I need to be at. <laughs> I was kind of thinking more of, like, the kids' hayride. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I, I think that's perfect for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> moving on from that. All right. So we're we're talking about Insidious today and came out in 2013. It's a James Wan movie. And I talked about this a little bit on the Saw episode that after Saw, James Wan kind of was being pigeonholed as this, like, torture porn director. And so he ended up creating the Conjuring universe and the Insidious universe as kind of his way to divert that kind of pigeonhole in horror. So I would say, I'd, like Frank had mentioned, I think this is one of the, the better horror movies that I've seen throughout my, you know, limited scope of watching horror movies. And, you know, over the years, Frank has kind of, you know, introduced me to to more movies and trying to, you know, expand my my horizons. It's more me of like tricking him into watching a horror movie. Um <laughs> And then him realizing within the first couple of minutes, this is not like a fun-filled action drama movie. Mm -mm. Um, and it, it, was, it goes back to when we were first dating in college and me and my friend would try to get him to watch a horror movie just because we were into that. But, you know, uh, I think this one stuck uh, because we obviously watched it multiple times. And yeah. It's amazing that after you've seen it, like maybe five or six times, you still jump at certain points. So I just don't know if you've forgotten or you're just traumatized every point that you've forgotten. I don't know. You just treat it like it's a new time every time. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's good, though, because it was that. I think that it was that good. We talk about this a lot on the podcast about PG-13 rated horror movies not doing so hot because they just aren't scary. But I think this movie is a perfect example of how you can be scary with a PG-13 
rating because they're like you just said, there are a lot of points in this movie that I still jump at or like I know it's coming, but it still like gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like I'm like trying to think what would have made it rated R, and I guess yeah, you're right. I didn't realize it was PG-13, but yeah, I guess because uh, what what it does besides the jump scare, they just used like the sound effects, the music mm-hmm. behind it. I mean, they really did not have to get into gore as what James Wan was trying to achieve. Um, or like uh, any nudity or any extreme stuff that would cause a rated R film. They really kept it PG-13, but still very scary. Yeah, I think I think they did a great job. The this the sequels maybe not so much, you know, because like kind of like with Paranormal Activity and even the Conjuring films with all of their different spinoffs, like it can go off the rails sometimes. That it's hard to capture the, in my opinion, it's hard to capture the kind of initial, like, magic of that first film. And I think I, I think that's just a problem with sequels in general. See, I completely disagree. And this will be up for debate amongst your viewers. I have been called a sequel apologist. And as far as I'm concerned, I think sequels are great. I live for the fantasy of a sequel. You know, I get that there are problems in a sequel, but <sighs> my God, it, you know, you're just extending it. There could have been no sequel, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I Call me a sequel apologist. I, I am for the sequels, and I, I enjoyed them. I, I, think it, I think it extends the plot of the first one. It really, you know what I mean? And... <laughs> Not to do a spinoff here, but there's multiple sequels out there that are hated upon. Um, Star Wars being one. Uh, okay, okay. I'm going to interrupt you there because... Stuart Little being two. <laughs> and then, like, so many more. And just... Y'all just don't see the beauty in a sequel. The plot goes thickens. And, you know, you I like when sequels pull things from the first one. Um, like... Elise, uh, the ghost hunter, she was pulled through all of that. Even though she died in the first one, she was pulled through all of it. So yeah. I liked seeing her character development behind it. Yeah. Now, was there some critical points that were probably missed? Absolutely. But again, call me a sequel apologist. All right. Um, yeah, like you said, specifically, one of my favorite characters in this film is Elise. And I think that's kind of a common, a common plus that everybody talks about with Insidious. Um, The actress is amazing. She's been in quite a few horror films, actually. She was, I think she was in It Chapter 2. She was, like, that weird, like, naked lady that was, like, running around terrorizing that one girl. Frank is looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, But, (laughs) uh, but she has been in quite a few horror films. Um, so I think this is probably one of her best performances, in my opinion. Like, she, she's just a character that's so likable. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I just, I, her, her demeanor in the whole movie, uh, I thought was played really well. And uh, I felt like she kind of sold her part in believing that, mm-hmm. like, she could see all these things with her own eyes and she had these glimpses of like you know her the old lady's hand or the creature coming out of the corner and just like 
her reaction to stuff is as if she was actually seeing that shit like live in her face. Right. And um have you ever seen Poltergeist? Nope. No. If you've seen Poltergeist, the older lady that is helping the family and she's um she's also kind of like a like a psychic, like ghost hunter type. You know, after watching Poltergeist for the first time last season, I kind of saw the parallels between the two films. Um, And I think I even brought that up during the episode that it kind of reminded me of similar points because it's like, it's usually like a strong woman figure and her two, like, I don't want to say henchmen, but like, it's kind of like that trope that it's like a strong woman and then she has like two lackeys helping her out. Um, So that definitely kind of, you know, is upheld in this movie, but... um, also, fun fact, Lee Wanell, one of the actors that plays the the nerdy guy. Yeah, didn't he write the Insidious? Yeah, he uh oh, look at you. See, you know stuff. Um <laughs> Um he actually oh, I, I could just finish your sentences. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Years. You know. So Lee Wanell, the the guy who plays the nerdy one of the two uh, lackeys, for lack of a better term. He, like you said, actually helped write Insidious as well as Saw, and he played the photographer guy in Saw. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was the the photographer guy chained up to the bathtub and stuck his hand down the freaking toilet. Hopefully it wasn't real. (laughs) Yeah, let's hope he didn't, you know, put his hand in any shit during this movie. But yeah, so I think Elise was a great character in this. I also really liked the mom in this movie, uh, Rose Byrne. I, I mean, the main thing I know her from is Bridesmaids. <laughs> so I think before we watched this, I, I don't remember what year Bridesmaids came out, but I feel like it was around the same time. So that was, like, I was like, oh, that's the girl from Bridesmaids. and <laughs> um, But I really liked her performance in this movie, too. And you can, you can really, like, really tell that she is going through it in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I thought she did pretty well. I, I don't have any uh, issues with how her performance went or, like, anything she did. I thought everything came out really well. You know, I, I think her performance was really believable that she was a mother who had about all that she could stand and you know moving houses didn't work you know she's trying all these different things but it kind of sucks that her mother-in-law kind of knew and withheld information the entire time which I get like I get that she probably couldn't like the mother-in-law, um, Josh's mother, not my mother, but <laughs> Josh's mother in the movie. I I guess in the context, like revealing too early that it could be something supernatural, probably like they wouldn't have believed it early on in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, but wasn't she there for the priest thing too? The mother-in-law? Yeah. 
yeah, I felt like the mother-in-law was like around yeah. at like key points where she could have like as a viewer, you can kind of tell that she's being suspicious. And it's kind of alluded to in the opening scene with, you know, the lady in the black dress kind of, you know, lurking over um, young Josh. So you kind of know that there's a connection, but you just don't know how. So. Yeah, but it takes for like the shit to hit the fan and at least be like, okay, go ahead. Tell your son the truth. Well, you've lied to him yeah. for years <laughs> and why he doesn't like his pictures taken. Like, this man is, like, a 40-year-old man finding out the truth. And also, I don't know how he forgot when he was 8 or 9 that this was happening. I feel like he should have some vague remembrance of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of touch on that in the second movie of how his memory was erased. And it's been a long time since since we've watched the second one that I don't really remember that, that whole plot line. But I could see, because some people do have very traumatic experiences where they end up kind of losing memory, but... Like like a severe PTSD. Right, right, exactly. So, but I don't know if that's necessarily what they used in the second one. I don't remember off the top of my head, but... Yeah, so uh, Patrick Wilson is in this movie. I think I find him very... He's the one who played Josh. I I find him attractive. I don't know your opinion, Frank. Why are you, like, scared to say it? I'm not scared to say it. I mean, he's kind of an asshole in this movie. Um, but I tend to gravitate towards men who have asshole tendencies, I guess. <laughs> Wow. And the day before Valentine. <laughs> I'm kidding. Frank is not an asshole. I, I call him that sometimes, but he's really not. I've never seen you lie to your viewers so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, what is your what is your opinion of Josh, the father, in this movie? Um... I think he was, at the beginning, I think he was trying to be understanding, but I think when they move houses, he really took a leap of, like, faith of, like, hey, maybe really changing the whole scenery. Selling a house and buying a house is a lot. So I think he took a leap of faith in believing that his wife was um, experiencing all these things. Um, but, I, you know, afterwards you find out that, you know, and she even says it, uh, you don't actually believe me. And it's kind of true. He really, like, he didn't believe that they could use a priest or they could use a ghost uh, finder, you know. So you could just kind of tell really in the back of his head he didn't believe uh, mm-hmm. her. And uh, just, you know, he wasn't on game of it. And there's a lot of, you know, probably like cis, straight, you know, white males who have this uh, masculinity complex that like, oh, you know, out-of-body experiences, paranormal, um, or anything related to that is, like, not real and it's all fake. Um, and that, you know, it's, you know, some sort of sham that's been made up, you know. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what they were portraying uh, with him. Uh, so I didn't necessarily like him. I get that the story's a lot about him. Um, but I, I just didn't necessarily like how he really didn't... 
I'll believe her. Yeah, and you you know I could I could see both sides. You know, you're the both of them were under extreme amounts of stress from you know their son being in a supposed coma, which we find out over time it's really not a coma that he's you know astral projecting and basically can't come back to his body because he was kidnapped by a demon that's trying to take over his body but you know in the context aside from that you know it's obviously a very stressful situation trying to you know navigate having a child who could potentially have some severe health problems but Josh like disengages almost and like pretends that he has work to do at the school when he really doesn't and it's it's like not a healthy way to deal with that yeah but he justifies it he literally says you know when they're arguing outside on the porch you know I deal with uh the stress my way um but you know dumping all the problems on her is not the greatest way to deal with stress in any way shape or form yeah, and it's like especially at that point because obviously she at that point she had that like um that sheet with that it looks like blood but it's you know just basically like the demon's like handprint on the freaking sheet and she like throws it at him. I was just like, "Yeah, girl, you tell him." <laughs> yeah, but she just said what it was at least. He's probably like, "What the hell is this?" like What's that called? Inkblot test? Oh, yeah. He's probably like, oh, is this an inkblot test with red (laughs) ink? Like, I would have been a little bit more descriptive. Or I would have been, like, thrown in his face and explained this. Uh, What the hell is that? Something. Yeah. At least explain where she found it more than anything else. All right. And now we are going to do our segment that we've been doing this season called Super Scary Scenario. So basically, we will put ourselves in the situation of our characters in this movie and describe what we would do in that situation. And my question for you, Frank, is who I would be. (laughs) I think that I would be one of the the lackeys, one of the tech guys. (laughs) Who are you? Who am I? You know, in an an ideal world, I would love to be the Elise. The one that's like, you know, comes in, looks nice, sweet, innocent. Like, like she comes in looking like she's a sweet old lady. Like, you know, she... You're giving me a look like I'm wrong, but like she does. She kind of comes in with this like sweet disposition of like, oh, you have a lovely home. And then like 10 minutes later, she's like freaking muttering to the 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 weird nerdy guy of like of what to draw and she's like she has so many moments in this where she's such a literal boss like she could beat these fucking demons up herself but she can't i know but i'm saying well well she, she can uh once she, she literally can't you know <sighs> That's up for debate. Anyway. Um, oh, she physically, literally could not when she was faced with one. 
Okay, well, ending of the movie aside, she is a literal boss. And she's still a boss in all of these sequels, okay? But no, my my actual super scary scenario question for you is, I remember very early in a relationship, I don't remember which movie we watched, if it was this one or if it was like The Fourth Kind or something of that nature. I remember us watching a movie and you turned to me and go, <laughs> you said something about if I were to ever become possessed that you would leave my ass immediately. Yeah. Are you like, if we, we I try an exorcism, I'd be down, you know, let's get, let's try and do use an exorcism. But if that don't work, we got to figure something out. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'd like to consider myself a spiritual person and a strong belief that there are fair, uh, paranormal things that happen out there. And, you know, I really don't mess with that. I can't remember which movie it was. Had a great quote, if I can remember it, about like open. If you if you try to open anything with, uh, you know, a different type of realm or um, area of life that, you know, even if it's a good gesture, it's still opening up a door. So I'm a hardcore believer of, you know, things like this. So if by all means that was to happen, we'd have to, like I said, we try an exorcism. I think it'd work. <laughs> you know, I paid my dues. I'm a Catholic. Do you, <laughs> do you think I would be susceptible to... Absolutely. I think the people... Why? That, because I think, I, I, I think that people that are susceptible uh, are... A little bit more uh, emotionally driven um, because I think it's easy for um, paranormal things to take advantage of emotions. Um, and we see that in many movies, obviously. You know, she was so upset and shaken that she had to move, you know. Mm, yeah. You know, so, it, you know, I mean, emotions are very easy to toy with. So I think people that are a little bit more emotionally ridden like, it could, in theory, be more. I think they are. I think there's got to be like some statistics about how emotionally ridden, more emotionally ridden people are typically um, have some sort of paranormal experience. Yeah. And I guess you could, you know, I I feel like, <laughs> I feel like all of that is like AKA me. Like I, I have a breakdown of like the smallest inconvenience sometimes. Like, <laughs> You're, why are you silent? I have no comment. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, in other paranormal movies that we have watched, uh, well, I don't, I don't think paranormal activity really has that angle specifically. I think just in general that the, the two sisters were like haunted throughout their childhood yeah i have to remember the plot line there but yeah I, again they're, they're they were pretty emotionally written i think yeah i guess so but yeah like things like um or the like the film white noise like he was you know emotionally distraught about his wife passing away that it all kind of led to him resorting to epv to Contact to like so. contact her yeah so what do you what do you think of the further as like a concept i don't know i i because is the further 
just when you're astral projection, astral projecting, or is it whenever, is it a location that you can astral project to? that makes sense yeah i guess like if you ask your projector are you always in the further just in like the good side the bad side um because at least kind of made it sound like it's all of it just like there's obviously worse people in the further than there are because you know i mean he's right. in the house and there's like people just being creepy and that's fine but like <laughs> you know and then there's demons so i think the further is just kind of where astral projection just happens I think the further is a good concept to why a lot of people got scared from this movie because there's like a plausibility behind it because mm. I think there's a statistic that says um, one out of 10 people have had uh, out of body experiences. And mm. so like, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, out of 40 people that went to the movie theater, that means four of those people resonated with the plausibility of this all possibly happening. Right. Um, and so I think for, you know, four people, they probably went home really scared thinking like, hey, you know, my out-of-body experience could have taken me to a worse part of the further. Um, so I, I think that that plays a plausibility and kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, how James Wan really took away from just being that uh, torture gore movie uh, filmmaker and kind of taking it to an idea of something that's real. Yeah, and... You know, I think you're right that Elise does say in future movies that the further is more so, like, I I thought, I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but I thought that she described it as, like, an in-between for, you know, when you cross over to the other side, in theory, that this was, like, an in-between place. So, and I and I think what you said was right, too, that there's portions of it like what we saw in this movie where it's, like, worse places than others. But, yeah, I, I honestly don't... I, I know that they kind of flesh it out in the future movies, but I kind of... Just watching this movie alone and not really having any memory of the other ones... I kind of like it being mysterious and not, like, super fleshed out, in my opinion. But I know that you like the sequels. And I, I'm not saying that I don't. I do like them. Let's rewind to the beginning. Yeah. He said you didn't like the sequel. Because that most certainly happened 20, <laughs> 22, 25 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You caught me. But, you know... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I like it being, kind, I like the depiction in this movie that it's kind of mysterious. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm so, like, scared of this movie in a sense is that it's all in the dark, basically. And all you have is just this lantern, if that, to kind of guide you and you, you don't know where you're going. Like... I mean, they eventually find their way and get to whatever house they're going to in the further. But, like, how the fuck do you know where you're going? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's scary to me. Like, I hate walking through the dark in the house. 
after we watched this the other night, I had to, like, because <laughs> we have, like, those Alexa lights, so you're, like, telling Alexa to turn off everything. And she's like, okay, and have a good night. And then you're, like, trying to find your way upstairs. So I had to, like, use my iPhone light to, like, get up the stairs. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to see, like, a demon in the corner. Like, no, we don't like that. Like. <laughs> I, I mean, I think after that movie, I'm sure a lot of people probably got scared of the dark, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the scarier part is seeing a hand, not a demon. See just some hand coming out of the shadow, like that's creepy as fuck. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So what is there a specific point in this movie that you find to be the scariest? I think it's that that point when um the mom is talking about her dream. There's two points. Okay, so one they're kind of back to back. So it's the mom talking about her dream, and she goes into the room and. You know, she sees that the parents are sleeping, and then she goes right into um, Dalton Dalton's uh, room, and she sees a shadow figure, and you know she's asking like, "What are you here for? Who are you?" And you just hear these like creaking noises. Mm. This is what I'm saying. Like the sound and the music, the unnecessary like piano there just really kind of hyped it up. And it wasn't necessarily anything scary, but as you saw him like creaking his crazy looking hand and then pointing at him i don't know why that was just really creepy and scary to me um and then they kind of all tied together like i don't know i guess at that point it kind of all made sense i didn't really need to understand much more that they were all just trying to get into you know dalton's body or take over his body and so it just kind of all freaked me out pretty quickly uh again i think this the the sound that they put behind there really um it's not that it gave a jump scare it just gave such an interesting tune to it and um i think this is the first time i can't I, I can't think of another horror movie that really took their music to a different level um and did something different like this and if and, and there might be but this is at least one that i've watched that i i really enjoy that that really uh made it scarier um i would also say that um when uh one of the other lackeys is flipping through his little kaleidoscope thing like clicking the click and then there's a different color click different color and you can see different um, rays of light or whatever he could see in one of those switches he saw the twins and in the, the next slide he sees them closer and smiling and that really that was a jump scare but like again the sound was leading up to it and that was really creepy because their smile was like mm. joker smile like it was really fucking creepy and i just didn't expect that you know mm. a lot of the other like ghosts like uh didn't really scare me it was those two twins that really freaked me the fuck out yeah, so I would say those are two scariest points of the movie for me. I think a lot of people probably jumped at that um, point right after uh, uh, the mom was telling the story. Um, when you see Josh is sitting there and she's telling the story about how he he grew up with it, and then she looks up and you know he, the the demon's right there with the red face, um, and that's a pretty big jump scare for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people got scared there. Yeah, I would say that that is, for me, that was the scariest point. Because that's, like, kind of the biggest jump scare out of the movie is... <laughs> I like to joke and call him Darth Maul because he literally looks yeah, like Darth Maul. I, I, think, I think there's been multiple references to him being uh, Darth Maul. Uh, and Which, maybe that's why I didn't think it was such a jump scare because I like Darth Maul Yeah, in the sequels. Um, so I think that... <laughs> 
I think, you know, I was like, oh, Darth Maul, cool. Like, I don't know, we were watching Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like you said, I think there's been many memes or jokes about it. But, you know, when we first watched this together, that was the point that scared me the most. And that's kind of the big jump scare, I'd say, aside from the twins popping out of nowhere and, like, like changing their smile. And it's like, and it's... Like you said, it's the the sound effects, the music, the editing too, because it like when they edit the the twins and later on in the further when um, one of the twins like murders the entire family and then they like pop out of nowhere and they're all like there smiling. Wait, one of the twins murdered the whole family. So one of the twins was the lady that murdered the whole family? Yeah, that that those are the creepy twins. There was just one lady that killed everybody though. Well, there's two twins. I got you. I didn't realize that that lady was a twin. Yeah. Okay. Learn something new every day. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but but yeah, that entire family and like they kind of like jump cut it a little so that it's like kind of like their regular face and then it's like like immediately like smiling and it's like so creepy and unsettling like there was a lot of moments like that of like kind of the editing really helped um another kind of like creepy point is uh when the lipstick demon i think it's called the or darth maul whatever you want to call it he's like walking on the walls in the further like chasing dalton so it's like oh, yeah, he's like crushing the wall yeah he's like crushing the wall it's like so freaking like i can't imagine like being a kid like you know trying to run for your life from a demon that's like physically faster than you which is kind of confusing to me that he was that dalton was able to get back to his body yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, that's, the I think, the biggest loophole in the whole movie is the fact that, you know, after Josh gets into the house, he's distracted by the old uh, witch lady. Yeah. And so Dalton just has to make his own way up to the room. Right. But, like you said, the guy, the, the demon's chasing him, and he somehow got in. So, you know, like, there's nothing stopping the demon uh, or, like, pausing him or right. you know, distracting him so that Dalton gets a chance. Dalton just... You know, he shot it through. Um, but I don't know that Dalton should necessarily be so afraid of this demon, to be quite honest. I get that he's locked up. He should be absolutely afraid of that. But, you know, from what Elise says, he's been astro-projecting and, you know, knows how to astro-project himself pretty well. And he's been doing it for a long time. He just thinks it's dreams. But, you know, I would think that he's, like, he'd be like, oh, this is just another dream. But... Well, or to, you know, he has he has own enhanced his own skill of being because he was able to fly in that one drawing. Um, you know, he flew right. So he obviously had some sort of supernatural power to be able to you know fly. Why couldn't he just fly into the room or, for hell's sake, like shoot laser beams out of his eyes? I don't know. You know what I mean? And maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But you know that I think right. that's a big loophole there where he did. We we don't know what happened after they went into the door. We're into the room. Dalton just got into the body. Yeah. And, and upon this watch, I, I feel like I'm a little more critical of the ending. And in that specific point is, like you said, but hmm, at the same time, 
Josh also has trouble in the further when he's like battling that guy by the red door, like the weird guy that was like licking the mom the the mom's face. Um I think he was having trouble and then Elise was like, "Well, remember you're alive and they're not. So you're like more powerful in the further." So by that logic, Dalton would also be more powerful than all the demons in the further. You know what I mean? So I don't think they... I I think in the, the second one, Dalton helps uh, Josh get back from the further after he's stuck in there. But, I mean, we do, like you said, we don't really see where it goes. But this kind of topic is relevant to this next point that I was going to bring up is that they're actually making a fifth Insidious movie and, you know, all of the original cast is coming back. So it's going to be set, from my understanding, from what I read online, it's going to be set about 10 years in the future. So it'll be like Dalton's going off to college and I guess they're being haunted again question mark we don't really know i have a feeling that they're gonna somehow retcon something to where like dalton is still somehow haunted by this lipstick demon and he has to deal with it again um yeah i think that's usually how sequels go though so uh, i'm not shocked that if that's how they're gonna take it I figured, you know, what, 10 years afterwards, he's, what, going 17, probably going, getting ready for college. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Now, I am very pro-sequels, but I think sometimes a runaway train can happen with some of these sequels, mm-hmm. and it usually happens at about the fourth or fifth one. So, yeah. Uh, that's where it kind of gets crazy, uh, so we'll see. Uh, you know, and, and even if it is bad, I still think I'd enjoy it for the yeah. lack of, for the, not for the lack, but for the, um, increasing plot line. Um, like you said about the further, you know, if you just look at it from one aspect, it leaves so many questions, but thankfully to the sequels, we understand it a little bit better. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the family dynamic, see um, cause I, I have a feeling, I, I know I'm kind of like speculating based on my limited memory of the sequels, but I think they kind of seal away or make Dalton and Josh forget how to astral project in the second one. Like at the end, they somehow fix that. Um, to where they don't do it anymore and then they're not haunted anymore. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that comes into play, you know, later on. They'll just relearn how to astral project. Yeah. Be able to do it right after what, like 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Or, you know, will they, will it be where, you know, maybe one of Josh's or not Josh, um, maybe one of Dalton's friends is being haunted. So then Dalton has to remember how to astral project and you know i don't know i'm just speculating but i i think it's just dalton yeah yeah but it looks like elise is gonna be in it again obviously i mean we can't well she's obviously like gonna mentor them from beyond like she's been doing because she did that in the second one 
thought those were just flashbacks. Because the, well, the third what, was the pre prequel. Yeah, the third one was a prequel, but the second one does have flashbacks. It's kind of following Josh's. Yeah. You know, haunting story. But I just don't, but, I don't think she mentored them, should she? Yes, she did. She came back because remember her like old friend, that old guy she was like buddies with or whatever that also was like oh, yeah. into ghost hunting. Like she comes back from, you know, heaven or, you know, their version of heaven in the context of the further. Like she comes back from that to assist them in the further. Speaking of Elise, how do you feel about the other portion of the ending where uh, she basically gets killed? <laughs> I mean, I think it's just one of those really good twists because you're just like, cool, everyone's happy, everyone, we're done. We're like, you know, we're wrapping up the the movie. Um, but then you just get that inkling whenever she like looks at um, Josh's hand and you're like, I don't know what that's about. And then. She takes the picture, and we already know as soon as, as soon as she takes the picture, Josh freaking out, and I think it like the dots click in our head really, really, really quickly, um, and so I, I thought it was a really good ending twist. Um, I think the crazier twist is the fact that they brought her back through this entire series, you know, yeah, made a whole line out of her. Um, but I, I I thought it was a good twist. You know, it sucks. It really does. I would love to have seen her live, but I. You know, I thought it was a great twist for what it was. Yeah. I I think that's a great twist ending, too. And I'm, like, curious. I'd have to look it up. But I'm curious if the intention was always to have Elise as kind of the center of this Insidious universe. Or if after the first one, you know, did well and people were kind of like, oh, I wish she hadn't died. Like, that they kind of were like, okay, let's find a way to write her back in. But either way, I think it was a good decision to, like, she's she's kind of one of those figures in in a horror movie like, um, like Laurie Strode from the Halloween movie or um, Sydney from Scream. Like, you need that one character that's kind of in all of them in a way that kind of keeps the story flowing and like you have a connection with somebody because when there's a cast of characters that you don't really give a shit about which is normally the case with something like texas chainsaw massacre or like friday the 13th like there's always like a slew of characters that you don't care about you know it's not as at least for me in my opinion i think I like those movies that have the reoccurring characters. I don't know your opinion about that. Weren't they all reoccurring, though? And which character did you care about? I'm not saying in the context of Insidious. I'm saying in the context of having one character that's consistently in the movies, like Elise, that keeps you coming back to the Insidious movies. Because I think without Elise in Insidious movies, people wouldn't have enjoyed it as no much. yeah i definitely think she was like a narrator of a lot of this yeah you know? like she's kind of the i guess for lack of a better term a narrator or like you know main character energy if you will <laughs> upon this rewatch of it though i don't i don't think that the movie really needed so after Josh kills Elise because he's possessed by the 
lady in the black dress. The mom, his wife comes out and she sees a photo and then we kind of get a flashback of what happened like two seconds earlier that kind of almost like over explains it. You know what I'm saying? Like it actually shows that it's the black lady in the black dress. But I think we as the audience would have already known that. I don't think that we needed the extra like breakdown of like, oh, Josh is now possessed. Like, yes, I think we understood that without the kind of explicit like scenes of it. You know what I'm saying? Frank's shaking his head like he doesn't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um <laughs> moving past that, what are your final thoughts about this movie, Frank? I mean, I I definitely enjoyed this movie. I would watch it, you know, like a hundred more times. Honestly, it's got it, you know the the jump scare, the music, the sound, you know, the thrill behind it. I enjoyed it a hundred percent. Ten stars, if it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I th- I mean, I think part of it for us, you know, tying back to the theme of Valentine's Day, if you will, it's a movie that you and I both enjoy. And it keeps us coming back. And it's not necessarily, like, it could be, like, an everyday movie that we watch. It's not like we're watching it specifically because it's a horror movie. We're watching it because we like it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was an easy movie for us to continuously watch throughout our relationship. Yeah. So, one would call it the glue to our relationship. (laughs) You heard it here first, Super Scary Listeners. Insidious is the movie that keeps our relationship strong after 10 years. (laughs) Okay, well, I thought they... like a cricket sound right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you have any other final thoughts? Are you excited about the sequel? I'm always down for a sequel, so by all means, I'm ready for the sequel. Uh... Final thoughts of Insidious? I think everyone should watch it. If you haven't watched it, by all means, watch it. Start with the first one. If you like it, go on to the other ones. Or if you're one of those anti-sequelists, by all means, stick with the first one. Because I just I, I think just the first one in itself is really good to watch. Um, and by all means, do it with the lights off as mm-hmm. much as possible. Uh, finish your popcorn before the jump scares, and I think you'll be good. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely one to watch with the lights off and it it just creates that ambiance all the more especially when you're in the further when they're in the further and it's like super dark you don't know what's going on in there it's it's super creepy but yeah i think the the story overall i think you know honestly it could have been contained to the one movie And you could have just kind of been left with your thoughts of like, oh, what's the further like? And kind of like fill in those blanks yourself. But, you know. I think the movie was such a hit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. What did it gross in the box office? I don't know off the top of my head. I can look it up real quick. Podcast service, scary movie, podcast, and you don't know what it grossed. Okay, well, you know, sometimes we don't always talk about that. But let me look it up. I think, I think it was $91 million. Oh, did you look it up? And I think it was made with under a million dollars. So if you knew that, why didn't you say it? Because I was testing you. It was all <laughs> been a test. What did you say the budget was? I, I think a million, a little under a million, right? 
It was 1.5 million. So you're basically oh, okay. right. Was yeah. it? I think I read somewhere where it was like specifically very close to what Saw did. And so, right? Um, yes, actually. Um, I mean, the budget for this was a lot more than Saw was. It was like 60000 for Saw, I think. It was oh, like super, it. super low budget. But the box office for this grossed about $100 million, But so. 1, $1.5 million isn't a lot. Yeah, in in retrospect, it's it's chump change, you know, but it's... Yeah. For it to as gross as much as it did and became such a phenomenon, right. you know what I mean? That's what really pushed those sequels. Right. Oh, well. You didn't know that Joseph Bichar was the demon and the composer? No. Oh. Yeah, so I just saw on Wikipedia that the musical score was done by the guy who played the demon. So um, Frank apparently knew something that I didn't know, and he claimed to not know anything about pop culture. I can't remember why I know that. I just remember the demon being that guy. See, you know fun facts. You could start your own podcast. Who thought that was fun? I mean, I think it's a fun fact. It's a. I just sat here and gasped about it, and you said you didn't know that. Because <laughs> you're supposed to know as a podcaster. Yeah, you're right. Well, anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Frank. Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, I'm super excited about this podcast, so by all means, I'm down to get in every once in a while on a podcast. Uh, I'm more of a supporting role kind of person, so. Y'all, you heard it here first. If Frank says that he doesn't want to be on the podcast in the future, I am going to play this clip. And I'm going to play the clip where you called me an asshole tomorrow. (laughs) All right, I just want to thank you, Joshua Chambrai, for being on my podcast. Uh, You know, it's been a thrill having you here. Excuse me? (laughs) And I hope all of you guys enjoyed him being on my podcast. And I can't wait for next week's episode that airs. And I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, all of you guys, and especially my husband, for supporting me in my podcast. See you soon, my spooky listeners. (laughs) Excuse me, sir. Well, thank you. That is a a great way to end it, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Anyway, we'll see you next week. Bye. Hey there, Super Scary listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the Super Scary Podcast this week. This podcast is edited and hosted by me, Josh. Our executive producers are myself and my wonderful husband, Frank. You can enjoy new episodes of Super Scary every Monday, wherever you enjoy your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate you giving us a review and subscribing on your favorite platform so you get notified when the new episodes drop. If you enjoy our content, please join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Super Scary Podcast. You can also email us at superscarypodcast at gmail.com if you have movie review suggestions for the upcoming seasons. See you next Monday for the new episode. Bye-bye!